Well, that was the opening music to Christmas in Connecticut, starring Barbara Stanwyck, Dennis Morgan, Sidney Greenstreet, Reginald Gardner, uh, and I think my favorite character was played by S.Z. Sockle. Sockle. S.Z. Sockle. Oh, he is so good in films. If you remember Casablanca, he plays. Uh, he's plays. He plays a part in that. Yeah, and so does um, Sidney Greenstreet. That was interesting. Yeah, they had a whole cadre of these people that were uh, that were in the Warner Brothers uh, films, and they kept reoccurring. You know, you'd see them in like Peter Laurie and Sidney Greenstreet. Sidney Greenstreet did nine films together, uh, inclu- in like, including the in Maltese like four Falcon. Years. Maltese Falcon, Casablanca, on and on. Yeah. And you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at classicmoviereviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classicmoviereviews, and you'll find us there. And I'm Matt Johnson, and I'm coming to you from what's turned out to be a pretty mild couple days here in North Bend. I actually fired up the barbecue last night for dinner. Nice, nice. And this is Bob Johnson from Los Angeles, where we're having uh, sort of rainy, cloudy, Seattle-type weather, welcoming everyone back to Classic Movie Reviews and Christmas in Connecticut, which we want to thank one of our listeners, maybe more than one, I've forgotten now, who recommended that we uh, do a review of Christmas in Connecticut, and I'm glad that, uh, I'm glad that they made that recommendation because I enjoyed the movie. Uh, and some of the characters are just really fun to watch. Sidney Greenstreet and uh, Mr. Sakel and uh, her supposed fiancé. <laughs> yeah, Reginald. <laughs> well, Reginald. John Sloan is his character's name, yeah. But he looks more like a Reginald to me in the movie. <laughs> Doesn't he? If, if, an, if a name ever fits someone, it's, it's that, Reginald. I think it's his pencil mustache that really <laughs> sets, sets him off. The hair in this movie, too. Everybody's hair was quite elaborate. Like, the, the women's hair was very elaborately done. For the time, I think it was just the style of the time. But then all the guys had their hair all slicked back with lots of hair oil. Oh, yes. My dad... Uh, my dad was a big fan of uh, a hair thing called Vitalis that he put on his hair. You sent us some pictures from uh, when you were little, and uh, there was some pictures of Grandpa in there, and his hair looked just like the hair of some of the characters in this movie. Because <laughs> that was right from yes. that same time period, like early 40s, early to mid-40s. Oh, yeah, he, he, had a, he had a good head of hair, that's for sure. So Christmas in Connecticut, it's quite a, uh, kind of a, uh, sort of close to a screwball comedy type thing. I had no idea what this movie was about. I'd never seen it before. So I was expecting more of like a Bing Bing Crosby kind of Christmas movie. But yeah, it's totally different than I thought it was. And it was really funny. I was laughing a lot. (laughs) Yes. Some of the mix-ups we can get into here in just a bit. A little bit on the, on the, uh setup for the uh, for the film it was directed by peter godfrey who i don't think we've reviewed any of his films he uh had a long and and, and distinguished career did 22 films as a director 
and 12 or 14, depends on how I count them, as an actor. And one that he did with Humphrey Bogart, which is really good because Mr. Bogart is a scheming guy that bumps off one woman and then is figuring out a way to get rid of another one. And the title is The Two Mrs. Carols from 1947. Oh, that sounds interesting. And that was that was directed by, by Peter Godfrey. Yeah, uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart gets himself in a real tangle of, <laughs> of mix-ups. It doesn't, it doesn't turn out well for him. Well, the film was released in August of, uh, of uh, 1945, August of 1945, just at the very end of World War II. And it's a Warner Brothers film, and it has Barbara Stanwyck in it, who I think is just an outstanding uh, actor from that period. And on into the 50s, 60s, uh, with her TV role in The Big Valley, where she was the uh, matriarch over this huge clan of people that were always battling evildoers in the West. Um, She was really good in the movie. She was very... I don't know, likable in a way, even though she was kind of, <laughs> kind of getting herself in a, in a deeper and deeper mess throughout the movie. It seemed to me like in the film, it, 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 even though it was it was sort of uh, uh, fiction, it, it seemed like that could actually happen where somebody is touted to be this expert in a field of which they know very little. I know in a couple of cases over my career, I, I met a couple of people that <laughs> would fit that category. <laughs> they, for one reason or another, so f- their reputation is quite strong. Yeah, it, it reminded me of like these social media influencers in a way. that she, If she had been alive today, she would have been one of those people. Because I feel like they, they present these like fabulous lifestyles on social media, but then you wonder what their real life is like. You know? She would have had that. She would have had two and a half million viewers. Oh, at and least. then she would have been on a cable show on the uh, Food Channel or the Cooking Channel. And uh, her, uh, her uh, was it her uncle? <clears throat> that was the... Uh, yeah, Felix. That was the actual actual chef. Was in, He'd be in the back <laughs> handing, <laughs> handing the final product out to her. But uh, Miss Stanwyck was wonderful. Remember in Double Indemnity? What a, oh, what a yeah. person she was in it. Such a great what a, movie. What an actress. What a great actress, yeah. And then if you really want one to make you feel sad, Stella Dallas from 1937. She plays the long-suffering mother of a daughter who becomes infatuated with the good life and the upper crust and sort of discards her mom through most of the movie. It turned into be a, a radio soap, soap opera that my mother would listen to all the time. The organ music playing, and here my mom would be listening to Stella Dallas. <laughs> Today's adventure, she, she gets she gets in, ignored once again. <laughs> That's the plot of each episode. It was a plot, yes. She long suffering is an understatement. Well, I, I wanted to mention that this movie is available online for free at archive.org, and I'll put a link in the show notes. And the quality of the transfer is excellent. So. You can definitely watch it online there. And then there is a radio play dramatization version of this with Ronald Reagan, starring Ronald Reagan. And I started listening to oh, that, but okay. I didn't finish it because I hadn't finished the movie and I didn't want it to spoil the movie. But I'll, the quality of that was really good, too. 
That was probably an old Lux Radio Theater or one of those. Yeah, it's in, it, 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 I'm, I'm able to find a lot of radio dramatizations of the movies that we've watched. I, I feel like that was a thing where the movie would come out and then a few months later there would be a radio play of it. Or maybe even simultaneously, you know, I don't know. <laughs> that really happened. I think it was, there was usually a, a period between the time it was released in the theaters and the time it would show up on screen actors or screen directors playhouse or lux radio theater and and there were dozens and dozens of these double indemnity was one and on and on and i guess it would be equivalent to today where the film would come out in the theater and then a few months later it might show up on hbo or showtime or some other venue and then eventually it makes it into like the cable channels with lots of uh, other films because yeah, this would have been before the time of television being widely um, distributed so radio would have been the logical way to get that out to a lot more people than just the theater yeah it makes sense oh yeah we had a wonderful radio in our living room that we listened to a lot of these we may have listened to this on the radio I, I don't remember Dennis Morgan not not a lot uh, of uh, information on Dennis Morgan that we've talked about before he had a very long career he was, uh, he was the epitome of the clean-cut, uh, pleasant guy from next door. <laughs> That's a good description of him in this movie, too. And he, he made s- several movies that I think are really good. One with uh, Ki- uh, Ginger Rogers called Kitty Foyle uh, from 1940, and one from 1945, God is My Co-Pilot. Uh, and he was a wonderful singer, had a great singing voice. Yeah, there's a there's a neat scene when uh, Barbara Stanwyck's character Elizabeth Lane is decorating the tree, and Jefferson Jones is is the character's name that Dennis Morgan plays, and he's on the piano playing a Christmas uh, song, and that was that was a neat scene. It just really felt like a Christmas movie at that point. Nice voice, that boy. Yes. You know, for being filmed almost entirely, if not completely, on a uh, studio soundstage, it really felt like the outdoors at times when they were in that sleigh on that ride and that sort of thing. Well, especially when well they, done. yeah, especially that exactly when they went to the square dance and they pulled up in that car and there's all these horses with sleighs behind them. I thought that really looked like they were out in the city. But if you looked really closely, you could see that the background was probably a painting. Uh, but it was super well done. The, the set decorations and the set design were fantastic. I, I just like to watch it for some of that. 
I'd love to have that house. Oh my gosh, that house was so cool. <laughs> yeah, but I, I don't think I'd want that crew showing up. <laughs> there were just it was just too, it was too much. It was too much. I'm not sure if I would want the the housekeeper that was there either, uh, played by Una O'Connor, played oh. Nora, the housekeeper. <laughs> yes, yes, I, yes, it was. The the film is pretty straightforward. Barbara Stanwyck's character is believed to be the most popular, Elizabeth Lane, the most popular woman of her day in terms of how to live your lifestyle and do the right things with furnishings and food and on and on. And she's number one in the sales of their magazine to the delight of Sidney Greenstreet's Alexander Yardley, who's the editor, the owner of the of these uh, oh my gosh streams. he was so pompous hello is this the state police this is alexander yardley yes the alexander yardley yes <laughs> yes <laughs> he yes he uh he he was larger in life larger than life and really large in life there was a great in joke between him and felix where felix calls him the fat man oh uh, mr yardley this is my uncle felix <laughs> merry christmas same to you oh and how very thoughtful of you sir fat man which is exactly what his character's name was in um was it was it casablanca or um maltese falcon fat man uh, I think he was in the Maltese Falcon. Yeah, in the in the uh, Casablanca film, he played the uh, shop owner that was kind of on the, kind of on the borderline between honest and dishonest. He, his life, Sidney Greenstreet. I mean, I read about his life because I I just enjoy him so much. He uh, he grew up. Uh, I think he was in a large family, and he left home when he was in his teens because there were so many kids. He had to get out of there to make a way in life. And he ended up, he he managed and wanted to become a real big uh, wheeler dealer in the rubber tree plantation uh, business in uh, Ceylon, I believe it was, or Indonesia. Uh, Ceylon has now got a new name. I just forgot it. Um, but that didn't work because there was a drought. So then he, he managed... Uh, and I think it was part owner in a uh, microbrewery, <laughs> beer place. <laughs> then, I know. He looks like the perfect owner of a microbrew, doesn't he? He does, yeah. Have another burger and another <laughs> two pints of ale. And he, he worked his way onto the stage and then into movies. And he died tragically at a fairly young age. I believe he was like, uh, oh, gosh, I don't have that right now. Well, I guess it wasn't. Uh, 74 for that time was not too young, but. He uh, he made a lot of movies at Warner Brothers. Every one of them that he's in is distinctive because he, when he's on the screen, boy, you he fills the screen up both literally and figuratively. He really does. Yeah, I I can't see him as anything other than an actor. It's funny to think of him as like running a microbrewery or trying to run a rubber tree plantation. <laughs> no, he's just so perfect in these movies. Well, some of the some of the actors uh, from this era had really exciting and unusual lifestyles and, 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 and adventures long before they became actors at all. Errol Flynn is one and uh, several others. Flynn was a sailor and went all over the world and got into all kinds of trouble. And then he got into films and got into more trouble. <laughs> so Sidney Greenstreet, who else in here? Uh, 
Reginald Reginald Gardner. I like I felt sorry for him. I did too. In some odd, strange way. I mean, he wasn't a ter- he didn't seem like a terrible person, and he he just he just kept asking Elizabeth Lane to to marry him, and she kept turning him down. Bring us some wine, will you? Something very good, but not too expensive. More than nineteen twenty-seven. Yes. Fine. Yes, sir. Well, Elizabeth, how about it? You know you need someone to look after you. But I don't love you, John. All that will come in good time. Could you wait that long? I think so. Saying no to your proposals has become a habit. Yes, it's a bad habit. You must break yourself of it. It becomes harder and harder to find an excuse to say no. Well, you can't blame it on your career this time because you haven't got one. You're right. I just can't think of another excuse. You could say that you love someone else. But I don't. Now, let me think. Oh, what am I... You, you, mean, you mean you will marry me? Well, if you really want me, knowing how I feel... Do I, darling? Well, it happened in the film numerous times <laughs> they'd get they, the judge even came in it didn't happen then I, that judge was very right. accommodating because if i were him i'd be like i know i'm not coming over on christmas eve <laughs> yeah and then, and then they the, i forget who it was shows him the exit through the window oh yeah felix go, go out that felix. way yeah <laughs> it was felix judge oh, Crowther, felix. Crowthers. yeah he was funny well, we, maybe we should go through the movie a little bit more chronologically. Yes. Because I was interested to see that the first 10 minutes of the movie was in the hospital where they were just talking about food almost the entire time. Did you enjoy your lunch, honey boy? You mean that mush? What I don't understand is when a guy's okay and he wants some man-sized food, why do they hold out on him? You forget you out on a graph for 18 days without any food. Well, your tummy's not ready for solid food. And why is Sinkwood's stomach any different than mine? Why? Because you starved longer than he did, Jackie. Ah. You gave him the last of that K-ration, remember? And that was a great sacrifice. <laughs> that was no sacrifice. Have you ever tasted K-ration? And if I starved longer, do they have to try to finish the job? Of course not, but the doctors know best. All I get is milk, milk, milk. Every time I yawn, I'm scared I'll move. Ah, you silly boy. I'll get something to read and be right back. Hi, fella. Hi, Sinkwitz. Say, look, you had steak again yesterday, didn't you? Mm-hmm. And today, chicken Maryland. Oh, oh, brother. How do you work it? You got to use the old Magoo, Jeff. That's all. The old Magoo. Yeah. Because they had been, these two sailors had been stuck on a a life raft for 13 days or quite a long time. And they were v- both very uh, hungry when they got back to the hospital. <laughs> And his friend, the other sailor, had a really unique style and approach to getting the kind of food he wanted. Hey, Sink. What do you want now? You're getting to be a problem, child. What is this old Magoo you talk about to get you the food? Oh, that. (laughs) Now, look, that nurse you got. Yeah? She likes you. Well, the Magoo. What Magoo? Oh, now, listen. Don't you think they like to do those little extra things for a guy who's uh, in love with them? Oh. But it's got to be convincing. That's where Magoo is different from baloney. Altogether different. But uh, just how far do you have to go? <laughs> how hungry are you? That far? Break a girl's heart that way. Her heart or your stomach. Hey. 
What's my nurse's name? Mary. Mary. Here we are. Oh, well, who were you for so long? I uh, missed you. <clears throat> Mary? Oh, well, how nice. I mean, well, I didn't even know you knew my name. Me? Not know your name? <laughs> yeah, I thought that was kind of slimy of him, though, actually. <laughs> it was. Uh, yes, it was very devious. He would, he, would, he would basically talk to the nurses in a way to make them think that he was in love with them. And I thought the way they presented the nurses as just being there to try to find a husband was also kind of tacky. <laughs> oh, yeah, well, that, that is... Boy, I tell you, talk about a, a, a film from the 1940s. That really describes what some of the thinking was. Yeah. yeah. But then, uh, so then Jeffrey Jones decides to try that with the nurse that is helping him and works so well that they end up getting engaged. <laughs> For real. Yeah, uh, yeah that, that part was a little, um, I don't know, unbelievable, but... For the time, again, I had to put my mind in 1945. Well, that's, that's kind of what happened. It, it was really off-putting at first until I realized that this was a comedy and also a screwball comedy, and then it made a lot more sense. <laughs> yeah, it had some of the flavor of the uh, Cary Grant, Catherine Hepburn film, Bringing Up Baby. Oh, totally. That's exactly the movie that I was comparing it to by the time I figured out what I was watching. This one wasn't quite as oddball as that but boy it was it was in that genre and then uh i forget now is it the nurse that writes to uh sydney greenstreet's character about yeah so she somebody... she, she writes she... to sydney greenstreet because she had helped his like niece or something like somebody in in his family she had helped as as a nurse and wanted to ask a favor of him if if there's any way that she and and, and him could go out to this country house that the writer lives at, who is played by Barbara Stan Stanwyck, and that's Elizabeth Lane, because she, like you said, she's the most popular writer of, of the time about these kinds of domestic scenes and cooking and living on the farm and all that stuff. And uh, Alexander Yardley thinks it's a great idea, and then he kind of bullies and traps. Barbara Stanwyck's character into doing this well. I have to say that reveal of of Elizabeth Lane sitting at her tiny little New York apartment writing these articles <laughs> yeah, was so brilliant. That was so brilliant. That was so that was my favorite part of the movie because I I then I realized oh it's one of those okay I got it at that point like I understood what <laughs> was going on and I laughed so hard. That was quite a setup, wasn't it? She had no, she had no Connecticut farm. She didn't know how to cook. She was just sitting there writing this stuff. Oh god! She was, yeah, she was, she was a combination of making it up and getting stuff from Felix about how to cook. <laughs> it was just all fiction, which has got to be and, so true to life. I think for a lot of things that we read and we, you know, don't think critically about it, but. Yeah, that was perfect. Oh, you you mentioned earlier that on the internet she would be extremely popular. Well, but but you know it's it's interesting that part of the film 
still makes sense today. It really it, it, it holds up well. But the part about the nurses and the uh, the military hospital uh, doesn't hold up at all, given today. There's quite a contrast. Yeah, I didn't. I did. I really didn't like the first ten minutes of the movie. I. I because again, I didn't know that this was. I basically went into this movie knowing nothing about it. So if you go into this movie knowing nothing about it, and it opens up with a sea battle, and then it goes to this hospital where these two guys are being really chauvinistic, I was like, okay, this is going to be kind of more like a. I was thinking this is going to be like a four or five yeah. star rating yep. for me at that point. But then it kind of takes a turn when we find out that uh, Elizabeth Lane is is just putting up a front about this amazing life that she has. And then it really starts to kick into high gear with the craziness that goes on. <laughs> Cause she's got her she, every two minutes or less, every minute somebody's coming into her apartment. I know, I know. <laughs> oh, hello, Felix. Hello, goodbye. Merry Christmas. Uh, don't mention it. Hello, Dad. Hello, Liz. We're in a jam. Something terrible is about to happen. What's the matter? It's Yardley. He wants to see you right away at his home on Long Island. Really? Maybe he wants to give me a raise for Christmas. I've certainly helped circulation. No, darling. It's not a raise. You look frazzled, Dad. Do you want a drink? No. No, thanks. Now, it's really nothing to be nervous about. Not a thing. Don't be silly. I'm not nervous. I feel fine. Well, you won't in a minute. Now, get this. Some fool nurse at a naval hospital wrote to Yardley asking to invite a wounded sailor out at your farm for Christmas. My farm? Oh, oh, yes, my farm. Oh, my farm. And he wants to see you right away to arrange it. Arrange it? Are you crazy? Where am I going to get a farm? I haven't even got a window box. That's just it. We'll have to stall him off. You know what a stickler he is for the truth. If he ever finds out we've been making all this up, he'll fire the both of us. Oh. Well, it's been nice knowing you. Well, it's really not as bad as it sounds, Liz. All you have to do is to go out there and tell him that your child has whooping cough or something. Say that you simply couldn't possibly entertain anyone for Christmas. Your husband wouldn't like it. Oh, yes, yes, my husband. Of course, simplest thing in the world. You go out and tell him, Dad, you're a much better liar than I am. Oh, no, Liz. He wants to see you. And when Yardley wants something, he gets it, or else. Well, I'd rather get fired than face that old battle axe. Yes, but what about me? Remember, I have a wife and a family to support. Now, you're not going to let me down after all I've done for you. Oh, all right, I'll go. Let's see, whooping cough, maybe scarlet fever. It's a better color for Christmas. Anything, only call off the sailor, Liz. Now, if you put this over, I'll get a raise for you. I swear I will. The things a girl will do for a mink coat. Come in. Well, here I am. Hello, John. An hour early, but the early bird catches the worm. Thanks. Don't mention it. Why are you so early? I took an earlier train. That much longer to be with you, my dear. Sloan, go away. We're in conference. Oh, don't mind, Dad, today. We're in a little trouble. Well, if there's anything I can do for you, just have to say the word. You know how I feel, Elizabeth. No. How do you feel? Tell us all about it. Say, ah. Ah. Say, what is this? Why don't you go and build those rabbit hutches or whatever it is you build? Multiple dwellings. And I don't build them. I'm an architect, Beecham. Well, go and be it, then. All you want to do is to propose to Liz again, and I'll do it for you and get just as good a no for you. Now, look here, Liz. Liz, don't waste time with him. You have to decide what you're going to say to the old man. What old man? Oh, it's Yardley. He's sending me a sailor for Christmas. Oh, how nice. A sailor? Really, Elizabeth? Well, it's just a little trouble we're in. You see, Yardley thinks I have a farm, a husband, and a baby in Connecticut. A farm, a husband, and a baby. Simple, isn't it? 
Well, there's obviously only one thing for you to do, my dear. And she, she's, very, she's very good at salesmanship when she convinces Reginald Gardner that, well, maybe we can get engaged and married. But what she really has in the back of her mind is that they need to go to his Connecticut country house so they can entertain this soldier. Yeah, that was a great scene when she realizes that he has a Connecticut country house. <laughs> you you do? <laughs> yeah, right. He he was funny too because he was an architect and he was constantly going into significant detail over how to build a house and what goes into it, and, and nobody would listen to him. Like, yeah, you notice how warm it is in here. These walls are triple yeah, right. layered. You know, it's like nobody cares. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> He, I, I, that's why I felt sorry for him. She wasn't really interested. Nobody else was interested. He, he was just out there. Yeah, but he's not. But he's not a bad no, guy. Like not he's, at all. You know, he's just really into what he does, and he's he does have a beautiful place that he lives on, and he just needs to find somebody that has a similar interest, or at least will be interested in what he has to say. At least one time. At least once. <laughs> <laughs> so they. Uh, they go to Connecticut, and uh, they begin their ruse, as they say, to entertain Jess- Jefferson Jones. And then, of course, Alexander Yardley is able to come there because it's holiday time and nobody else wants to see him. <laughs> yeah, surprisingly, nobody wants to spend the holiday with him. <laughs> I, could, I couldn't understand that at all. Oh, gosh. But, but I think one of the highlights, every time Felix... Every time uh, uh, S.Z. Zakel is on the screen, I just, I laugh just when he's on the screen. Whether he's. Oh, he's he awesome. Is. He's the best, definitely the best part of the movie for oh, me. Oh, uh, my friend uh, that I see on Friday's the actor had met him, never worked with him, but he said he was the same way in real life. Just an engaging, uh, fun guy to be around. Yeah. He comes with them, he comes with them out to the the country house because uh, of course elizabeth lane doesn't know how to cook and so she's going to try to get it set up so that felix can do all the cooking and he walks into the kitchen and he's just like catastrophe he's like (laughs) he's so non-complimentary about this kitchen and and nora is just all beside herself like what are you what are you doing here what are you talking about she's cooking some like ham hocks and beans or something and he's like disgusted with that oh Catastrophe. What do you mean, catastrophe? Catastrophe is a word from the Greeks. It means not good. I'll have you understand this is the finest kitchen in Connecticut, Mr. Basil Knocker. Just call me Felix. But what smells? That's Irish stew. Goulash with turnips? Catastrophe. It isn't goulash. It's good old Irish stew. Maybe old, but not good such goulash. I tell you, it isn't goulash. Hold this. Paprika. That will fix it. Now it's goulash. <laughs> I'm jumping around a little bit, but when he's flipping those pancakes. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. I, I, I did, I've never tried that. Have you ever tried that? I don't know why you would uh, no, put pancakes I, that way. That just seems so like unnecessary. Well, I think it's the same thing with you know some pizza places where they twirl the pizza dough. 
It it it, it looks good. It, yes, it it's great. But Elizabeth Lane could not could not get it. So that's a great setup to later. There's a scene a little bit later where she's forced to flip a pancake, and and Felix is in the background praying, like, please, oh please, let, let this work. <laughs> so they're they're at the uh, Connecticut estate of of uh, Reginald, uh, and and. Uh, Soon, Jen- Jefferson Jones shows up, and when he comes to the door and Barbara Stanwyck sees him, you know right away there's this instant connection. She, the look on her face is like, wow, hi there. <laughs> Love it for yeah, really. Hey, sailor. Hey, sailor. <laughs> hey there, sailor. <laughs> now, the plot even thickens because according to her write-ups and all, she ha- they have a child. Oh, yeah. She's married to Reginald in this Connecticut house, and they have a child. Well, of course, they don't have a child. Not only do they get one to impersonate uh, or to be the child, but then that gets changed and they have a second one. (laughs) Yeah, and she doesn't even know if it's a boy or a girl, so they're they're changing the diaper and she calls it a bit boy and then... Uh, Jeffrey Jones, you know, is changing the diaper. He goes, no, it's a girl. And he's, uh, she's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. <laughs> but, but the next child, aha, is a boy. Yeah, so they get switched. That was so funny. And then and then the look on uh, Alexander Yardley's face when yeah, he right. comes out of that room, he's like, I don't think I've ever experienced anything like that before. <laughs> to say he was in disbelief would be an understatement. Oh, and it just continues. To me, there was like a real plot hole here, though, like um, that I'm glad that they filled it at the end because it was really bothering me. (laughs) But why did he show up by himself and not with his nurse fiance? You know, like I I didn't understand why they had because the whole point was for them to go there together to experience like this, uh, you know, idyllic family life. And he shows up by himself, and I'm like, "Wait a minute, where's where's uh, what's her name? Mary Lee? Where's Mary Lee?" You're you're right. It does get answered in the uh, in the final uh, one third of the last act, but uh, I hadn't thought of that. I, I was so busy figuring out whose baby was where and were they going to get married or not going to get married, and what was going to be the next catastrophe. And oh, it was just on and on, and then it just got worse and worse. But you're right, it, yeah, it did it, get answered in the final. Um, yeah, thankfully, because that would have really bothered me if they never, like, if we if we spend 10 minutes with Mary Lee at the beginning of the movie and then we never see her again. <laughs> you know, it's just like, okay. What, one might say that was a bad job of editing. You know? Yeah, well, they, they did close that loop, which was funny. I kind of thought it would have been funny if she ended up with Reginald. That would I think that would have really tied everything up in a bow. Oh, yeah, it would have. They would have instantly fallen in love and... Yeah, like if she walks in and then Reginald sees her and, and they both look at each other like, oh, hello, <laughs> you know. And, and she she loves architecture and buildings. He, he'd yeah, have been in heaven. Yeah, exactly. That, that would have been such a, I think that would have been a way cooler, like, connection in that movie with those two characters. Because otherwise, you know, they just kind of like are hanging out at the end by themselves still, which... I think it would have been cooler if they would have ended up together. Help me on this one. Was she married or just engaged to someone else at the end of the film? No, she she married Jeffrey Jones' buddy. Oh, that's that right. was on the, the raft with him. That's yeah. right. Okay. Well, we don't want to give away too much of the plot, do we? Although it, the, the plot is yeah. the plot is really incidental to the overall The plot is definitely incidental. Yeah, we've already given away a bunch of fun stuff. That's so. true. I, I love the scene with the As dancing. always, go watch the movie before you listen to our podcast. Wasn't it fun to watch them dancing? Yeah, actually, that was really fun. That, that, yeah. it, it, I, I enjoyed that. 
and, and uh, that square dancing. I've done that as a kid. We, we had a square dance club or group, and uh, I think that's called the Kentucky Reel or something like that, where they're going down that tunnel of arms. It's very much, it's very fun. Very fun. There's a scene, I was reading, there's a scene in that uh, dance hall where Sydney Greenstreet, they, the caller says to form that star formation, and Sydney Greenstreet gets confused, and he slaps one of the ladies upside the face <laughs> by accident. <laughs> And she kind of like stumbles backwards a little bit, but smiles the entire time. And I just, I have to go back and watch I, that. I missed that. The show must go on. Because he, he did look kind of confused in that whole episode there. Like he hadn't done that dance before. Oh, well, I, he was, he had many scenes where he was confused. I mean, it's like, <laughs> he was confused he, through most of the movie. And he ends up making a, a termination action, which is then withdrawn and Reginald uh, and and Sydney concoct this thing where Reginald's going to be the head of a new magazine of architecture. Uh, he's in heaven on that, but it just doesn't. It just you you know something's going to fall apart or come back together. Well, you know something's going to fall apart, but then you also know it's all going to be okay in the end. It's like it's like one of those movies where the the, the drama is never really that dramatic because it's all supposed to be fun and games oh yeah so it's never taken too seriously or taken too far nobody ever really gets in any kind of danger it's just the perception that maybe something bad is happening but it's really nothing happening that's bad like when the woman comes back from the factory to take her baby and alexander yardley sees her leave with the baby and he freaks out and calls the state police saying that the baby's been kidnapped oh yeah and he uses all of his name and influence to get them to do what they should do i tell you and then the truth comes out and he has to call back the state police and says never mind it was a mistake (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know you could do that (sighs) yeah i don't think it works that way yeah oh gosh that was a penalty call that really wasn't needed so uh, let's see. What are we? There's so many. There's so many parts. To this, I think we've covered. I, I did like. I did like the uh, the romance uh, between Elizabeth and Jefferson. Even though she was supposedly married and he was supposedly either engaged or married, you could tell there was a lot of chemistry there. And 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 that was an open issue until the last what five ten minutes of the film. As were many other or things. Even, yeah, at the very, very end, it gets resolved um, in a funny way. I thought that was funny. But yeah, there's some great scenes of them like walking through the snow, like to try to get that cow back in the barn. What a night! What a night! Moonlight, snow, and the cow. Do all animals take to you, Mrs. Sloan? Oh yes, of course, some more than others. Yes. They have their likes and dislikes just like human beings. Yes. Myself, I like most people. Some more than others, of course. Is there anyone you like more than the others at the moment? Definitely. Uh, A girl? Yes. Are you in love with her? Well, in a way, yes. In what way? Well, I, I admire her very much. I think she's about the swellest person I ever met. Is that as far as it goes? She's, uh, she's married. Oh. Does, uh, does she like animals? Yes. 
do uh, animals like her? Oh, yes. Does she live on a farm? Uh, yes. Jefferson Jones, are you flirting with me? Oh, no, I wouldn't Oh, don't dare. apologize. I... I'm flattered. It's always intriguing to a married woman to find she's still attractive to the opposite sex. But I... I... Uh, do I attract you? Yes. But you see, you were so different from what I expected. I, I was... Not for a loop? <laughs> you said it. Oh, how nice. But I, I shouldn't have told you. You're being married and all that. I, but you know, I find it hard to believe you are married. I find it pretty difficult myself. You, you don't act as if you were married. I don't feel as if I was married. Really? Uh-huh. Must be the moonlight and the snow. <laughs> and the cow. Oh, where is the cow? <laughs> yeah. Or, or on the uh, the sleigh ride where the horse just kind of takes off on its own and they end up getting arrested for stealing a horse and a, <laughs> a sleigh. But then the sheriff says, well, if we'd have known who you were, we wouldn't have done that. And I'm like, really? So in, influence yeah, does because, matter. Right? Yeah. yeah, that was uh, uh, telling. I thought that was pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, well, it's okay that you stole the horse and sleigh because, hey, you know, you're Elizabeth Sloan or Elizabeth Lane. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she did a uh, Barbara Stanwyck did a really f marvelous job with this because she was constantly befuddled because she had to do something she knew nothing about. Even the cow, she wasn't. I don't think she was quite sure what that was when it stuck its head in the house. She was like, "Wow, look at that!" <laughs> yeah, she'd never seen a cow in real life before. I don't think. And when she. Uh, made the pancakes uh, yeah there were many 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 scenes like that she pulled it off with a plume a plum yeah she all the actors i thought did really well in this movie there wasn't any moment where i was well i, I let me let me back that up a little bit i thought the scenes in the hospital were a bit cringy to watch today um i guess i guess that was the way it was back in the 40s i don't know i i find i still Sometimes I wonder, though, like, if, if this was how Hollywood was portraying things, and, you know, that's not necessarily how things were, but I do feel like things were more like that back then. Yeah, probably a bit of both things that you're talking about. The one thing that uh, I, wasn't, I wasn't sure what happened to Reginald at the end of the film. They come in and they... Yeah, see, they, they just, just kind of, like, cut him off, and <clears throat> then he's just, he just is gone. He he doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have a fiance. He doesn't have a girlfriend. He does have his house. I oh I think he, he doesn't he, he doesn't have his magazine that he was going to get. I don't think I, that was a little ambiguous to me. I don't know whether he was going to get that or not. Yardley was a little dismissive of that, but I guess you could conclude that maybe he would because uh, Priscilla or Elizabeth was going to come back into the picture and come back to the. F the magazine so uh, anyway i felt sorry for him and his pencil mustache <laughs> well um ratings so yeah it was a fun movie i thought it was it was a lot different than i expected yeah so ratings yes what did you give it i gave this film a seven uh, i liked it a lot the opening was a, was weak to me it, it was it was a classic screwball comedy so I think, and it was perfect for the holidays because it all comes together at the end, pretty much. Anyway, how about you? 
Yeah, when I first started watching it, like I said, I was like, whoa, this is going to be a four. This is bad. <laughs> <laughs> and going down. Look out, plan And then long. there were some scenes where I was like, well, this is a 10. You know, like the, some of the scenes with Felix were just some of the best scenes in movies for me. They were great. I think overall I'd give it a, oh gosh, a seven or an eight. I'd probably go with a seven, I think, because it was uneven in parts. And... But lots of fun, and and uh, I. But lots of fun. I should mention that the uh, the film did quite well financially. It was a big hit at the box office, and I can see you know the war is concluded. I think the uh, the surrender documents with Japan were in early September, so I think people went to this film when it came out. It was kind of a relief to see something like this after that horrible years and it was released in august too which is interesting because it's uh it is more of a holiday movie for sure although it's just really more set in the winter than specifically they don't do a ton of stuff with the fact that it's christmas eve they do talk about it being christmas eve and christmas day but it's not like holiday inn or something like that where it's much more about the the holiday and it gave it lots of uh weeks and months to build word of mouth because I'm sure that people heard about it and told a friend and then they went and, and another film that we had thought about doing with Robert Mitchum and Janet Lee was uh, Holiday Affair so Nancy and I watched that the other night uh, from about the same period a little bit later but that's another wonderful holiday film that we'll have to look for doing next year around Christmas yeah because uh this episode is going to come out on Christmas Day. Yeah. So Merry Christmas to all of you that celebrate Christmas. Yes. And for folks that are on Patreon, you're going to get this a couple weeks early. So uh, it won't be Christmas Day for you, but <laughs> for m- most people that are listening, uh, that's what day this will be. Happy uh, Hanukkah. Merry Christmas to everybody. And uh, a special thanks to the people that suggested that we uh, do this uh, review because I really enjoyed the film. I hadn't seen it for a while, so thanks again. Yeah, happy Hanukkah as well. That's that's right. And yeah, this was a fun one, and it's great to get suggestions from folks on Facebook and through uh, email. So yeah, keep suggestions coming. Uh, and what we're going to be doing next is we're going to be doing a series of movies starring uh, black actors or directors or casts and um, I, I'm i going to suggest that we don't call this people of color because I've been doing quite a bit of reading around how the use of that term can be a bit of an erasure of what black people have gone through in this country because that is not the same as like Asian Americans or um, people from other parts of the, the world. So I think what we're really talking about is we're looking for movies that star black actors or directors, and we've got a couple already lined up. Well, and, and then we're going to continue into the diversity of film. Uh, I remember I put a list of eight or ten films together that I thought we'd want to look at early in 2020. Uh, yeah. Asian. So the first one so that forth. the first one that we're going to yeah the first one that we're going to do is. Um, <laughs> You'll have to remind in, me. In the heat of the night. In the heat of the from, night. Gosh, from 1967 I, yeah. with Sidney Poitier and Rod Steiger. And uh, an award-winning film for sure. It, it's a dynamite film. 
beautifully done. Yeah, it's as relevant today as it was then. Yeah, I've heard, I think I've seen that movie quite a long time ago, so it'll be refreshing my memory on that one. And then we're going to watch a movie called Harlem Rides Again. Rides the Range. Is Harlem that... Rides the Range. <laughs> Harlem Rides the Range, which is one of a series of cowboy movies that were filmed uh, with all black crews and actors. And um, I think this was the fifth one of the series and the final one of the series. And uh, there's some really interesting backstory around how those movies were made and and where they were made and the impact that they had. So that'll be fun to talk about. I, uh, I'm so glad I, I, I was at the Autry Museum just a few weeks ago. Nancy and I had been over to the L.A. Zoo, and then the museum is right across the parking. And they have an entire section devoted to, uh, obviously, Gene Autry movies and other Westerns. And there's a section on black films from the 1930s, Western films. And they had a whole uh, setup. And that's where I... Uh, saw this and said we need to we need to include this in our in our move to a more diverse uh, range of films after the first of the year Harlem rides the reins it's quite a quite a excellent film for the time and very think, similar to the westerns of that day I think uh, Haley's going to join us on that one because Haley and Noah and I watched it and um, yeah we had some thoughts so it'll be good to have her join us for that episode so that's in two episodes, or podcast from now. And then we have an open agenda after that, so we've got some uh, homework to do to fill in the, the next schedule up through January. But there's certainly no shortage of films. That's for sure. So stay tuned. More to come, and we're excited for all the possibilities of this podcast in 2020. And for everybody that's listening, thank you so much. We really appreciate you on Apple Podcast, on Spotify, wherever you are finding us. We really appreciate that. And for those of you that are on Patreon, extra special thank you to, to, you, to, to all of you. And we really, really do appreciate your support there. It does help us uh, offset some of the cost. And we're saving up for some new equipment. So it helps with that as well. So, uh, yeah. I guess we should say uh, Happy New Year as well, because I don't think we're going to have another episode on the public feed before the new year. Oh, Happy New Year, everyone. So coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt Johnson. And Bob Johnson in Los Angeles, wishing everyone happy movie watching. Hey, stop talking. What again? But this time it's for keeps. Now, I bring the judge. Yeah? But definitely. Yes, please. <laughs> Well, young man, I suppose you know what you're doing. But I warn you, she can't cook. She can't cook? No, I, I can't cook. She can't cook. But what of us? <laughs> I hope you'll be very happy. Thank you. <laughs> what a Christmas. <laughs> what a Christmas. <laughs>